what can you say about the experiences that you gained from from each of these studios um, that you you worked in prior to to moving into London? Because as like you, the journey from each studio seems like every every studio was different, and you learned different things. So yeah, just, yeah. that's a really good question because like as soon as you asked it, I was like, yeah, I can. So from Animal Logic, the the the, the first studios i'll just pencil it to like they gave me an in you know they gave me a foot in that's what mm-hmm. i got out of it mostly mm-hmm. uh animal logic gave me confidence right um it, it gave me the confidence i needed to get started because initially i was so in awe of you know the people around me yeah. um and not that they were bad or anything yeah. but after quite a short amount of time i found myself um, they trusted me a lot and suddenly mm-hmm. I kind of started feeling like they were coming to me for questions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, no one knew how to use ZBrush because yeah. it was so new at the time, but at home I was ZBrushing my little heart out because I was just like, that's the future, you know? So mm-hmm. I was, so I knew where all the buttons were. Um, I wouldn't say I was the best sculptor in the world, but mm-hmm. I just knew how ZBrush works. So I had yeah. a lot of old school guys coming to me, mm-hmm. guys and girls, uh, coming to me and going like, Hey, uh, what's, uh, uh you know how do i do this in zbrush and then they would try for five minutes and just like hate the interface and be like simon can you just do this and so i'd find myself like i felt yeah very very empowered um Mm. because i felt like all my previous knowledge and all my tinkering at home was actually helpful in that environment hi and welcome to the vfx artist podcast today's episode I'm very excited to bring on Simon Legrand, whom I think is a legendary VFX artist. During today's discussion, I'm looking to find out more about Simon's journey, which has evolved tremendously um, around so many different studios, including Weta, ILM, um, Double Negative, um, Dr. D, Animal Logic, and currently um, Anto Studios in London. So yeah, during today's discussion, looking to find out more about Simon's journey, which is incredible, and as well as to find out more about what he currently does as a as a real-time supervisor at Untold Studios, as well as to, to learn a bit more about um, yeah what the industry has been like since his his journey into the industry. I hope you enjoy the show. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, it's great. It's great to finally have you on on the show. Um, yeah. Yeah, to, likewise. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've been wanting to to have you on for a while, and just what well, I looked at your your resume, and it's I think it's extremely colorful and inspirational, and <laughs> and I Thank feel you. like yeah, I feel like you have so much story and and experience behind you, and I'm looking forward to um yeah to find out a bit more about how it all came about. So yeah, oh. just if if that's okay with um if that's okay with you, would you mind just introducing yourself and just tell us a bit more about your current role and what you do? Sure. Uh, so my name's Simon Legrand, and um, currently I'm the real-time supervisor at Untold Studios in London. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's who I am. That's yeah. the short introduction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm I'm wondering how how did you find yourself in the in the VFX industry, and 
what or who inspired it? Okay. Um, I guess it, it uh, you know, probably like many of, many of us, uh, the, the initial inspiration came from Jurassic Park. Um, in fact, it's funny, it's funny that uh, I didn't mean to have this on my desk just now, <laughs> yeah. but this, this is actually the book. Right, um, yeah. So if you go through this making of Jurassic <laughs> Park book, yeah. um, there is at the end, at the very, very end, yeah. there are like two pages with some computer screens on it. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and I was going through thinking like, wow, how did they make these dinosaurs move mm -hmm. so realistically with stop motion? I was aware of stop motion at the time. I was quite young, but uh, I was kind of interested in animation. Um, and I, I, you know, I had seen um, uh, Robocop and, and, you know, I remembered Ed 209 kind of moving like <laughs> very robotically, even though it's a robot. Yeah. And so when I saw Jurassic Park, um, I was really sort of blown away by how smoothly they could move. Yeah. So I asked my dad in the car and, and he said, um, oh, I heard that they were using computers for this. <laughs> so then I, uh, he got me this making of um, Jurassic Park and I kept looking for the computers. I only found, you know, two pages with screenshots of wireframes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the kind of like light bulb moment that made me think like, wow, computers could do this. This is absolutely uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, but I had never, I, I never really considered it as a potential career path. It was, um, it was more something that I just found extremely cool. Um, but at the time, uh, you know, I was quite young. I think I was maybe 12, 11 or 12. Uh, I just wanted to be a fighter pilot. That was my, right, yeah. uh, my yeah. thing. And uh, most of my teenage years, um, I focused most of my study on on being a pilot. Uh, and I didn't really consider animation or anything like that um, as, as something too serious. <laughs> Until, um, well, I still played around with it. That's the thing. You know, I say like I wasn't taking it seriously. It was 3D was sort of like the thing I did instead of playing video games. Mm -hmm. um, my, my, a lot of my friends were playing video games or going out and being all popular and stuff. Yeah. And I was staying at home. Um, I had a, I had a computer and a, and a friend of mine, um, showed me that you could get like, uh, 30 day trials of, uh, 3d software from, uh, 3d world magazine. Yeah. So I would buy 3D World magazine and run the whole uh, 30 day trial of every yeah. software, every 3D software that they had. So I was yeah. going through True Space, 3D Studio Max. And mm -hmm. because I, you know, I, I had to keep buying and, yeah. and starting the trial again, it yeah. was always a new piece of software. So I was kind of like yeah. trying all sorts of different yeah. uh, programs, mm -hmm. uh, even even got to try Houdini like that back then, right. which wow. was like Houdini 8, I think, or maybe even 7. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but I was just doing that on the side for fun, um, until it came to, um, <laughs> it came to, uh, apply for, uh, the Air Defense Force Academy in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went for the first test and they immediately, uh, told me I was colorblind, which I didn't know. <laughs> right. Um, and that was a, uh, an immediate kind of rejection. So, right, wow. um, so uh, yeah, it was a it was a little bit of a you know, it was a tough thing. But um, in fact, if you've ever seen the movie Little Miss Little Miss Sunshine, uh, that yeah. that hit close to home. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, that uh, that was a that was a bit disappointing. Um, 
and then I thought, well, being colorblind, I can't be a fighter pilot. Um, and uh, and I was thinking, like, actually, I don't think I want to be any other kind of pilot. You know, okay. I it just didn't inspire me to. Um, at the time, I, I was I was doing flying lessons, so I was working um, at a shop uh, on weekends and and saving enough money. And then, as soon as I had enough money, I would like buy myself a flying lesson. Um, so I could fly a plane. I had I had done a solo, uh, a couple of solo flights at that point. But I kind of realized, speaking to everyone around me in the kind of pilot school, that being a commercial pilot was really not what I wanted to do. Um, and so, um, so there was a moment there where I was just kind of like left a little bit in limbo, not really knowing what was next. Uh, and then I spoke to my dad. Um, well, actually, I was in the car and uh, my uh, school, they would give us like this, uh, uh, this book where you have all the things that you can do at university okay. um, as a degree um, so that you can kind of browse and, and see what interests you. Yeah. And I went to look at the aviation uh, section um, and top left on the other page was yeah. animation. Right. And when I saw animation, I was like, whoa, like you can do that at university and and boom and i was like mm -hmm. this is it i've been doing yeah. it in my bedroom for five <laughs> years now like yeah. this this must be it yeah um so you know i kind of looked at my dad and i was like uh hey um how would you feel if i just dropped the whole aviation thing and went to animation he was like mm -hmm. do what you want man <laughs> yeah. yeah so i was like okay that's that's the one i'm just gonna yeah. try and study animation mm -hmm. um and so that was the the turning point yeah oh, yeah oh interesting right mm -hmm. right yeah very yeah it's very interesting yeah very interesting in terms of story from other people that i've heard so it's really cool um so yeah I, so i went through your 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 resume or like your your linkedin and i realized you've you've, you've gone from like character modeling to 3d generalist and creature td and real-time supervising um and also your founder of the mocap studio so um yeah i'm just very curious about how it all began and if you're able to run us through that journey um from in terms of as, as you said you, you you did a computer animation course so I'm, I'm wondering at what stages or what interested you um between the character modeling and then switching to being a journalist and then the creature TD and all of that stuff, if that if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Now that you mentioned my LinkedIn, I, I think I need to bring it up again, just, mm. just in case, because I might forget <laughs> stuff. It, it's been a while, yeah. Like, I yeah. think my, uh, my first job was like maybe in 2003. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Um, which, yeah, is uh, well ago now. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, well, uh, after sort of seeing this degree, this animation degree mm. in the magazine, I applied for it. Um, but the, the 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 intake was actually quite difficult because it was on the Gold Coast in Australia. Okay. And um, on the Gold Coast in Australia at the time, there was really only one animation school that was sort of worth anything. Okay. And it was a 2D animation school. They, they didn't really have any 3D um, to speak of. Um, but I was happy with that, you know, it was like animations, animation, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always loved the text, the text, every stuff and the Hanna-Barbera stuff. So I was just like, 
that works for me, you know. So um, I started drawing a lot more and I put a portfolio together of drawings. And that was sort of one of the ways to get into the school was to put in a, a portfolio and um, and also basic some, you know, some of your grades in high school, yeah. which for me, luckily, were pretty good because I had been, you know, busting my bum to, yeah, to become a fighter pilot. So yeah. I had decent grades. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they were very much on the portfolio. And the first year that I applied, um, I didn't get in. Um, and suddenly it kind of made me because I guess in a way I didn't I didn't take it. Uh, I didn't give it as much respect as I should have. Uh, I sort of thought, ah, it's animation, you know, it's fun, it's eclectic, it's, uh, and it, it, you know, especially 2D animation, you yeah. know, I was just like, yeah, I'll just put in some drawings and I yeah. should be fine. And uh, that that um, didn't work out very well for me. So I found myself, I found myself, you know, being a bum on the Gold Coast for an, another year because I had to wait for, for the next year of intake. Um, so I essentially took that year off as a as a way to kind of. Uh, find myself yeah uh you know yeah. hung out with my my breakdance crew <laughs> and just yeah. pretty much did nothing well actually i did i did learn that i didn't want to do shitty jobs anymore right yeah <laughs> because i did a lot of those oh yeah and, sure um and uh it kind of like that was the year that cemented like i yeah. need a profession you know yeah. i can't just cruise through life um yeah. so that was it was you know it was a it was a good year in terms of yeah. like learning, learning yeah. what the real world has to offer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so um, the next year I put in a lot more work in my portfolio and, and I, uh, I got in, but I got into to two schools. I got into that, that Queensland College of Arts uh, animation degree, uh, but I also got an offer from um, the University of Queensland for a degree that was much more... Um, technical or uh, that seemed more technical they called it multimedia design Um, but based on the the uh, syllabus that they sent us it sounded like there was potential for a lot more 3d uh, and that's what I wanted to do so I jumped um, I jumped on that one Uh, I picked that one and first six months to a year I, I i did quite well um but nobody there knew 3d like it was just nothing at all it was um architecture software cad design um flash macromedia director yeah. if yeah. anyone remembers that yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and um I, I realized pretty quickly that i had sort of made a mistake like this was not the place where i was going to learn 3d in fact the uh, my first semester, um, I got such high grades in everything um, that in the second semester, I started tutoring right. courses that I hadn't taken yet. Right. So my the lecturers were like, well, you haven't taken this course, but I'm going to give you a full grade on it and you can tutor it as well, <laughs> which is a yeah. bit weird. And that's yeah. sort of like the moment where I was like, and I'm not saying because I was particularly smart or bright or anything. It was mainly because I had done all that stuff yeah, at of course, home yeah. in yeah. the past. Like yeah. I, I had gone through all the 3D world 30 yeah, day exactly, trials yeah. you can think of. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, mm-hmm. I just kind of knew this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's when, when, the, when the lecturers themselves were like, Simon, like, you know, can you help me put the course together for the next uh, semester? I was like, well, should I be really paying you to mm. teach me this stuff? Uh, this this seems a bit strange. Yeah. So the year after, I switched over to um, 
to the, um, the Queensland College of yeah. Arts mm -hmm. uh, with 2D animation and started there. And definitely, you know, it was kind of an interesting uh, degree, very, very much um, arts driven and, you know, zero technical ability in the building. Like no one, no one really knew how to use a computer there. Um, and you know, the drawing part of it was cool, but I just kept boiling in me that like, not, I'm not wasting my time because you're never wasting your time when you're learning yeah. the basics. But number one, I didn't want to be a character animator, even in 3D. Yeah. And, and two, I just, I kind of felt like if I want to really do what I want to do, which it, which really was make the, the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Yeah. It wasn't um, make Bugs Bunny or whatever. Like if I want to, find that career i need to use computers i need to do 3d yeah. um and i need to find somebody that can teach me something you know yeah. yeah um and so i uh i started just sending my resume to every single studio in right. in, in sort of brisbane gold coast area which you know wasn't many at the time there was a studio called cutting edge um there was a studio called photon uh, they were based at the warner brothers movie uh studios uh, and then there was a small animation studio called Liquid uh, and another one called Light Nights. Yeah. And Light Nights and Liquid were doing mostly like 2D animation series, uh, like like TV for TV animation for kids, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I just, you know, sent a bunch of resumes and got got nothing until one of my old tutors from uni, who was an architect, said, um, hey, man, I got a... I got a, I got some work to do. I know you're good in 3D. Can you can you help me out? So I just started working with him, uh, and little bit by little bit, my interest for uni and and the courses I was taking was like dwindling. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of that six months, um, I just told the Queensland College of Arts that I was like not going to continue. Um, yeah. I told them I was taking a break, a sabbatical, <laughs> but yeah. deep down I knew I was never going to come back. Yeah, sure. And so once I had like free time like real free time without you know seemingly irrelevant uni courses uh mm -hmm. taking up all my time um i just started getting really aggressive with with the job um yeah. with the job applications yeah. uh, to the point where i told all of them i'll come in and work for free like yeah. i i you know i i need i need a foot in uh just let me make you know let me prove to you that yeah. <laughs> that i can do this mm -hmm. Um, most of the studios were like, nah, it doesn't really work like that. I don't even know if we're allowed to do this. Um, <laughs> but one of the studios was like, well, sure, come in, you know, uh, let, let's, let's see what you got. And, you know, we, we can't tell you that you're going to be officially working on our show, mm -hmm. but if you want to sit down at a free computer and just take a look at what's being done and do your own thing on the side, go for it. Yeah. Um, and really quickly, I was just like, helping out i was starting to um do models for the show and and going through reviews and okay. uh so within like a week they were like okay simon we gotta pay you now like you know you can't you can't do this for free so they they just started you know paying me um and and that was basically how i got my first job i just kept oh, working yeah. with them for six months on this uh tv series for yeah. for kids um yeah. and once i had that um then when i did the next kind of batch of applications mm -hmm. um they all kind of came back to me with like offers gotcha. um so i had i had gotten my foot in basically by mm. um just by 
yeah not taking no for an answer i guess mm -hmm. yeah um but you know it was those were different times you know yeah. back then if you had used a three a piece of 3d software you potentially could get a job um mm -hmm. they they weren't really looking at talent and yeah. and the uh the potential pool of hires was pretty yeah. small because no one really knew that this was a thing um, yeah sure yeah 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 so, yeah so that was yeah. the kind of the road to the first job um yeah. <clears throat> after that it kind of became like a real um after that it was a real snowball um yeah. um mainly i guess my my sort of my main driver initially was i wanted to do characters i um but i wanted to be a character td like i wanted to be on the technical side of characters yeah. as much as possible um I mean, I, I like modeling and definitely because I wanted to be in characters um, at home for my personal projects, my demo reel and stuff, I would always uh, model the characters first, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, so I did a lot of modeling the character first and then getting to rigging and then getting sick of that project and then moving on to another project and then going through the whole modeling process again yeah, sure. and then never quite finishing the rigging of that next one <laughs> so i ended up doing a lot of modeling and not as yeah. much rigging as i wanted to mm -hmm. in my personal time so um so studios kept on putting me on on character modeling jobs um until yeah i got to liquid and i sort of did both i would i would model a character rig it put some shaders on it and pass it on because it was a very small operation yeah. um it was basically just you know two of us who would model and rig the characters and then pass them on to you know um five or six animators who would just start yeah. animating a whole bunch of shots we're doing um we were working on a a, a cartoon at the time called duck dodgers okay it's um it's a cartoon network, uh, Daffy Duck cartoon, okay, yeah. it's like Daffy Duck in space. Yeah. Uh, and they had like some 3D, like Futurama, you know, like okay, some yeah. uh, cell shaded 3D. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing all that stuff. Um, okay. And then it was great fun, actually. Yeah. Was, yeah. Really lovely stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, and then uh, after Liquid, uh, I sort of realized like I needed to... Um, I needed to kind of go, I needed to make it to one of the massive studios. Like, you know, I sort of thought, okay, the, the Gold Coast or uh, Brisbane has, has offered me everything that it has so far. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to learn much more or progress much more if I stay here. Um, so I started applying at Animal Logic and Animal Logic and Rising Sun at the time and Fuel uh, VFX in at, at the time they were kind of like the three big ones in Australia where working there meant that people knew well you know that people worldwide would kind of know that studio yeah. um, anything else was you know local Liquor, yeah. that's about it um, and I applied at Animal Logic I think two years in a row um, and didn't get in at all and then my second application it just went unanswered right um i was getting a little bit desperate and so i thought uh i need a trip i, I need to 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 have a holiday yeah. uh, i was quite young you know um because i never finished my university before i got yeah. into the workforce i was usually about a year or two younger than most people yeah. um around me um and i and and i was like i never did my you know my year of traveling that everyone does. Yeah, sure. I never went out there. 
So I thought um, I was really into anime. So I was like, oh, okay. let's go to Japan. Okay. And I went to Japan by myself as a 20-something, 22-year-old. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it was an absolute disaster, that trip. All right. Uh, <laughs> one day, <laughs> if we ever have a beer together, I'll tell you all about it. But yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll keep it off the podcast. Oh, but it was a complete disaster of a trip. Right. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, I came back and I was like, I'm never traveling again. <laughs> and... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, when I, when I got back, um, I was a little bit depressed cause that trip went so badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, one day my, I was, I was still sleeping at like, you know, probably early afternoon and my, my phone rings and it's like, hello, it's uh, Patricia from animal logic. How are you? And I just kind of like rose, like, uh, yeah. like Dracula, you know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and and they're like, yeah, we, we've got your application. We'd like to offer you a job. Uh, when can you start? I was like, I can start tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, okay, okay. I like, calm down there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, how about next week? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And they're like, what are your salary expectations? I was like, I don't know. What do you want to give me? And they're yeah. like, okay, we'll give you this. I was like, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Uh, and I was just so, so happy to kind of have this next chapter of my career open up. Um at the time, I was just like, let's go, let's go, let's do this. I packed up everything. I didn't have much to pack because I was kind of back in my parents' house after the disastrous trip. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, yeah, um, packed a backpack and 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 took off to uh, Sydney, sort of left everything behind. And, um, and then my first uh, few days was just like, you know, looking for a place to stay and stuff. Uh, and then the, the, the weight of the, the change kind of started dawning on me on my first day at Animal where they were doing a, <clears throat> uh, like an um, induction, you know, like where they kind of walk you through. And at the time, like uh, Happy Feet was in full swing. So yeah. Animal Logic was just full of just world-class talent. Right. There are like people from all over the place who'd worked at ILM, who'd worked at Weta, who'd worked yeah. at everywhere that was anything. And, you know, at the time for, for a kid like me to like, yeah. you know, yeah. be sitting next to someone who worked mm. on Star Wars, you know, mm. you just, I was just like, what the yeah. hell? Yeah. And um, the, the enormity of it kind of started weighing on me, whereas yeah. I just started really, really stressing and thinking like, yeah, like getting the uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, that's it, yeah. I was like, I am, I am, I am not worthy. What am I doing? <laughs> here? They're gonna, they're gonna find me out soon. Mm. Like, then I was like, well, I should just try to do as much work, as much work as I can to put them on my demo reel before they realize I shouldn't be here, and then I get fired. <laughs> Yeah. So I just, I had nothing else there. I had no friends in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I had, um, I, I was living in a share house with a 40 uh, year old German lady who was lovely, mm-hmm. but we had nothing in common. Oh, yeah. So I just didn't mm-hmm. want to be home. Uh, and I didn't want, and I didn't have any pe- people to hang out with. So I just spent most of my time at work Yeah. Um, until like crazy late o'clock. Cause I just had nothing to do at home. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of started plowing through work, um, probably in a slightly unfair way because other people who were working on the same sequences as me, as me had friends and had a life. Mm. Uh, and I would just be able to kind of get through quite a lot of work because I was just, I just didn't have one. Um, oh, yeah. And, but, you know, I thought I, I used it, at, I used it to my advantage. I, yeah. I wouldn't recommend that as mm-hmm. a good strategy uh, to, kind of get ahead uh, it's it's definitely 
it's not healthy and mm -hmm. it's not healthy for the industry either of uh, mm -hmm. th this competition of who stays the latest at work is yeah. you know it's been a it's been a big thing in the industry yeah, for a has, long yeah. time mm -hmm. and it really should not be that way yeah. um it made me think of the you know smaller studios that i worked at in brisbane and and you know they used to lock the doors at 6 30 yeah. when yeah. the bosses left everyone mm -hmm. left um mm -hmm. no one would stay back to try to finish something okay and that was just not the case um, in bigger studios. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just started working until crazy, crazy o'clock mm -hmm. and getting stuff done, which was nice. Uh, they hired me in the, um, in the commercials department. So okay. I was doing mostly like generalist work for commercials. Um, you know, basically I was just going to, you need something done i'll do it you know mm -hmm. whatever it is um yeah. i was a bit of a jack of all trades master of none um, but i was always happy to kind of learn on the fly uh, yeah. and just get stuff done at some point there's, there's, a, there's a funny story there i don't know if i should tell it <laughs> I'll, I'll say it anyway but yeah this 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 story is funny anyway um so uh so i was working i was working late now i was working on a weekend mm. and for the first time somebody had asked me to light uh, and render something mm -hmm. so it was i just didn't know how to do it they were using something called maya man at the time which was like a, yeah. a plugin from maya to render man but it was okay. animal logic's own custom plugin okay. of maya to render man so there was really no way to kind of google an yeah. answer because it was internal uh, yeah internal stuff and mm -hmm. i didn't really know how to find the internal documentation anyway yeah. so uh i just sent to the email list um uh, you know the vfx email list i was like hey um i'm supposed to light something but i have absolutely no idea how to do this with my mm -hmm. man um i'd love to you know uh, if anyone's in the building you know by any chance and wants to help me that'd be great um and then i just sent the email and then i went downstairs to the kitchen to fix myself uh yeah some toast mm. and uh and then i i washed one of my plates yeah. and i put it in the sink and then i dropped the uh the sponge, the sponge uh, in yeah. the sink as well yeah and this tall guy with a long beard uh kind of looked like a biker yeah uh can imagine comes in and just looks at me and goes like the sponge should not be in the sink <laughs> you got to put the sponge outside of the sink and i'm like oh oh sorry yeah. sorry but because of the way he looked, you know, yeah. kind of look, he, he looked like, an old, like an older biker. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also didn't quite look like a computer technician. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, I kind of thought he was with um, facilities. <laughs> right. So I'm like, oh, uh, sorry, man. Uh, anyway, I'm Simon. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I, I think I said something along the lines of like, are you in facilities or? <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he was like uh no no not in facilities i just i just work here and i was like mm. oh okay okay cool so now i go back up to my desk and i have mm. an answer from mm -hmm. the guy right programmed my own right. okay oh no who programmed the thing so mm -hmm. i'm like oh cool so i got the right answer and he's like and then he put another email he said uh, i'll come up and help you anyway and he comes up and it's him all right. It's like, oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> like the, um, the, orig the OG yeah. programmer of Animal, of animal yeah. Logic. Wow. And I'm like, hey, are you with facilities? <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, that, was a, that was a funny story. It was a cool um, encounter. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went home just going like, Simon, you idiot. You idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I was in commercials and I just really, really wanted to um, break out of 
commercials uh-huh. mainly because I just wanted to be in yeah. movies in a uh-huh. way, you know, also because I wanted to kind of be able to point at the screen and go, you see, mom, yeah, yeah. I'm doing something, you know, yeah. like look at my name. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is probably not the best reason to want to do mm-hmm. this, but it was partly also because I really wanted to w- uh, work within a workflow uh, mm-hmm. that was a film workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, commercials workflows were at the time very ad hoc. And it was like, yeah, if you could do it, yeah. you mash it up together. Yeah. There was always like an awesome flame guy at the end uh, that mm-hmm. would just yeah. pick up all the garbage yeah. that you've yeah. rendered out and make it work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it was nice, but I kind of, I was really hungry for that kind of big pipeline, like how, how to do things right the first time sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, Animalogic just wasn't really keen on letting me go uh, from the commercials yeah. department. So I applied at Fuel, who was also a TV commercials house, but yeah. they they were doing a lot of uh, film VFX as well. Okay. And uh, Fuel hired me, and then I worked on the Spirit there, um, mm-hmm. which was not the greatest film, but it was right. it was a yeah. film, so yeah. I, was, I was happy with that. Yeah. Um, and then soon after, I jumped to Doctor D Studios, which was the um, studio that George Miller opened to make um, Happy Feet Two and mm-hmm. also Mad Max: uh, hey, okay. Fury Road. Mm-hmm. That was super exciting, and that's where yeah. I sort of got my first taste of Houdini in production. Okay, they were using the hell out of Houdini over there. Like mm-hmm. uh, they probably had all the all the best Houdini guys from Rising Sun because Rising Sun had a lot of Houdini in house as well. Yeah. So all the best guys from Rising Sun, uh, you know, showed up and just started using, like showing people what Houdini was all about. It blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and um, and even though I was a modeler slash kind of like a concept modeler at, at Dr. D, um, yeah. they, they called it VizDev, visual development. Okay. So we would like model some quick stuff and then model some icebergs and start framing stuff. It wasn't really previs it was more like 3d concept art yeah, okay um <clears throat> so i was i was not in a really technical position there but seeing all the other people doing uh houdini stuff i was just my mouth was watering i was yeah, like sure. i think mm-hmm. i need to get into this you know mm-hmm. um never got a chance to really do a lot of houdini there um but um uh, because i applied at weta and i got an answer um and that was in the layout department um, so I just went to Weta before I kind of got a chance to really okay. dip my toes in, in Houdini at Dr. Yeah. D. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a big next step as well. Um, yeah. like the, <clears throat> the, the thing that kind of, that I remember the most about like showing up at Weta was, um, initially I, I wanted to, I, I applied in the modeling department at Weta because I thought, well, that's what I have the most experience in, at least the most demonstrable experience in. So I guess that's where I'm more likely to get. Mm -hmm. Um, What I didn't take into account is that basically every best modeler in the world wanted (laughs) Wanted to work work (laughs) in the modeling department. So I was up against all the top row of ZBrush Central, you know? (laughs) Uh, And um, that didn't really have a chance. And so Mm -hmm. they didn't really get back to me on that. And a friend of mine who worked in the layout department over there um, told me like, just apply in layout, they're desperate Mm -hmm. for people. Um, And at the time I was like, wait, I've never even heard of that department because I worked in so many studios. I was just so you know, the lighters were doing their own layout, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, 
Uh, so I was like, okay, that, that sounds great. You know, if, if it means working at Weta, I'm, I'm in. Uh, so I applied and that, that I got an answer on very, very quickly. Um, so I went to interview there um, and sort of saw Wellington and, and the Weta yeah. Cave, did my interview yeah. and went back to Australia. And then I was just thinking like, oh, I hope I get it because... <laughs> because yeah. this You're was cool. Really, yeah. I was only there yeah. for two days, but I just, I could feel it. I was, and, you yeah. know, I could, yeah, I just, I could <laughs> smell King Kong and the, yeah. the rings. They were yeah. just around the corner. <laughs> you yeah. know, I was just so, so excited yeah. to, to get in there. And they called me back. They said, yeah, come in. And, and it was sort of the same thing as with Animal Logic. I just, mm. I was just like, okay, I just dropped everything <laughs> yeah. and, and left, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I, I had a, a long-term girlfriend at the time mm. who's now my wife. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, quite a long uh, relationship there yeah um we she was with me and she was not really that psyched about going to new zealand uh, okay. because her career was just starting and yeah. sydney was a good place for her to to mm -hmm. do uh, what she does um but i kind of was like i can't turn this away this is mm -hmm. what i like so she was understanding enough to kind of support me through it yeah. um and um and she came along uh, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a very, very difficult two years, I would say, you know, and I think it's important to bring up the relationship side of things because mm -hmm. like this industry is an industry that it, it takes no prisoners, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I'd like to think, I hope that it, it is getting better. And mm -hmm. through my own lens, I think that it's getting better. I'm just not the quite paper. sure mm. because I've also um, been lucky enough to, well, I've, 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 I'm, I'm now working at a slightly higher, uh, with higher titles. Um, so I hope that I'm not just blind to, um, course, yeah. to what juniors are going through. Um, yeah. I know that I, you know, take particular care um, with my team to make sure that they're not doing insane hours. Um, but, you know, I can't tell for the, the wider industry. I'm not too, too sure. But at the time, uh, you know, Weta had, and, and I think they still do have that system, but they have safety in place now. But at the time you were a freelancer working at Weta, you, they, they did not have any full-time people. Okay. And that was so that they could get around the, the hours, the hourly laws, you know, um, of how long you can work per day. And so the nice thing about that is that you would get paid over time um, for every every hour of overtime that you would do, you would get paid for it um, quite well because it was like time and a half. Mm -hmm. um, but the downside was that because you were getting paid well and because everyone was so stoked to be at Weta mm -hmm. and because the mm -hmm. work was so difficult and the expectation, you know, like you, you can't just do something half-assed when you're there, yeah. you know, you can't just like, go, eh, I'm done. I'm tired. Mm. I'm out. You know, like yeah. hey, you're surrounded by giants of the industry yeah. and you just, you know, and I mean, even, even the, the giants, like I'm talking, you know, Joe Letary and, and uh, I was working on the supervisor called Steven Rosenbaum, who uh, is nicknamed SLR. He's one of the original animators of the Velociraptors right. in the Velociraptors oh, okay, right. in, mm. in Jurassic Park. Yeah. And that was my supervisor there. Yeah. And well, for, for a sequence that I was working yeah. on, he was my mm -hmm. supervisor there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was totally fanboying mm. on it, yeah. like, yeah. but I was not showing it. So, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. But the thing is, is he would be at work until 2 a.m. Mm. So yeah. little... Yeah. 
little 27 yeah. or 26 year old Simon was not going to go home course, before yeah. Stephen yeah. went, you know, yeah. um, sometimes we would get an email as well, like, you know, saying, uh, you know, Joe Terry's gone home now. Right. Uh, email would come anytime between midnight to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And that basically was code for like, <laughs> I guess you guys can go home too. <laughs> um, yeah. But that was towards the end of Avatar and it right. was just uh, a yeah, big, crazy, mad rush. Mm. Um, and just everyone was, yeah. Mm. So I kind of arrived at, at Weta for like the last year uh, or the last eight months of Avatar. Okay. So it was rush from yeah. the day I arrived mm-hmm. right up until the end. And um, and during that time, I was working in layout. And then about halfway through, most of the shots would, most of the layout work had been done. And everything was, <laughs> you'd, you'd think so, right? Four months, four months before delivery, yeah. you'd think mm-hmm. all, the, all the layout was done. Um, and so we... Uh, so they kind of like shifted all, they tried to shift a lot of the workforce to lighting. Um, but because I was interested in Houdini uh, and I had a friend who knew Houdini from Dr. D who came in and actually uh, we organized like a lesson, a Houdini mm-hmm. lesson for all the, the Weta people that were interested in Houdini. Uh, through that, um, uh, the head of effects kind of noticed my name and and was like oh simon would simon want to you know come into effects to help us you know with the the effects stuff um i was like sure you know um why not sounds fun uh i i warned him like i've never done a particle sim in my life but yeah um if uh, i'm up for it um so I, i went there uh and it was just so hard (laughs) so hard uh yeah my quality. time at weather was just so stressful mm. and so it, it took you know it took it took a toll on my mm-hmm. relationship massively yeah, um i you know <clears throat> you when you work so long and under yeah. so much pressure you kind of become a bit of a person as well yeah, of course, sorry yeah. about the swearing but yeah no, that's um you can bleep me out um <laughs> But you, it, it really, it can really take a toll on you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I used to kind of, when I was younger and, you know, bright eyed and so excited about this. And I thought every polygon that I saw was cool. Um, I would see the older guys were just like really kind of dead inside. <laughs> and I used to just really hate them because I was like, man, look at you, you know, you're yeah. working in VFX. This yeah. is so much fun. And why are you always like mm. looking down on people and being also negative and yeah. After after that kind of long slog, I was just I I got it. You know, yeah. I really it became the same. You know, mm-hmm. they had some junior, uh, you know, uh, assistant TDs, ATDs they called mm-hmm. them at Weta. So they were basically you know young people that were picked mm-hmm. out of random schools mm-hmm. and just given like a uh, an assistant TD job, which was yeah. basically junior work. Yeah. Um, and they were complaining all the time, like, this yeah. is, you know, I'm not getting paid enough to do so many hours. And I mm. was just looking at them like, guys, like, yeah, yeah. you're <laughs> in weather. You know how many years I kind of waited yeah. before I could get it there, mm. uh, get in here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sure, you know, you're getting, you know, entry level wages, yeah. but come on, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, oh, it just <laughs> annoyed me. Um, but yeah, because I, I was still, you know, I was still kind of excited about all this stuff, I guess. Um, mm-hmm yeah uh but then yeah after after a few years um i worked on tintin while i was there as well which was fun x-men first class 
and then um and then the hobbit was on the horizon and yeah. guillermo del toro had just dropped out of okay. directing the hobbit so it was going back to peter jackson and because like i knew a lot of the people who worked on lord of the rings mm -hmm. because they're just everywhere and after working on on avatar a lot of these people were like lord of the rings was, was so much worse like avatar right. was a, a breeze all right and wow. i was like what mm. what yeah um and i just i just didn't think i had it in me anymore like at that point i kind of took a step back and i was like i should feel very thankful but you know my mm. wife and i are not yeah of course. you know uh doing too well now because i'm just never home yeah exactly yeah. basically it was it was that's mm. Didn't have to look further than that. I was just never home. We barely knew each other in, yeah. in a sense because I would go home at two a.m. and then yeah. get up again at of nine, course. and you know, yeah. um, and uh, uh, and then and then I was like, okay, Avatar was cool, and I'm happy I did this. Do I want to be working even harder on The Hobbit? Mm -hmm. And I was never a big fan of Lord of the Rings, anyway. It's just yeah. not my thing you know i yeah. uh, just don't mm -hmm. like this whole fantasy thing um i don't hate it i just i'm just not that into it yeah sure um i just as i i was like no nah. so i kind of asked my uh my girlfriend i was like uh where do you want to go next you know mm. um i think we should go somewhere where we both can have a career i think that's important and so london was the obvious choice basically okay. yeah hey okay cool oh yeah i was gonna I was gonna ask you, um, yeah, what made you move to London? But I guess you, you, yeah, you explained why. Um, yeah, I mean, there yeah. were a few other reasons to uh, coming to London. Uh, the other yeah. thing was like Wellington is nice, but mm. it's a it's a complete microcosm. Uh, mm. From f through my lens at the time, yeah. it was like Wellington was the wetter campus. Okay. Uh, that's that's how it felt especially miramar which is the peninsula that most of the weather buildings are on yeah. it's like you know all the weather buildings are spread out throughout Mir miramar mm. and it, it really does feel like you are on weather university campus oh, yeah and everyone around you is from weather you go to a restaurant or you sit at a bar and it's just mm. weather people everywhere yeah. Yeah. um and it just felt very small and very much like a microcosm. Mm. And I was starting to be a little bit hungry for yeah. a bit more diversity in kind of yeah. my friend, my friend, yeah, of base, course, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So um, what do you think? Um, what can you say about the experiences that you gain from, from each of these studios um, that you, you worked in prior to, to moving into London? Cause as like you, the journey from each studio seems like every every studio was different and you learned different things so yeah. Just, yeah that's a really good question because like as soon as you asked it i was like yeah i can so from animal logic the the the, the first studios i'll just pencil it to like they gave me an in you know they gave me a foot in so that's what mm -hmm. i got out of it mostly mm -hmm. uh animal logic gave me confidence Right. Um, it, it gave me the confidence I needed to get started because initially I was so in awe of, you know, the people around me yeah. um, and not that they were bad or anything, yeah. but after quite a short amount of time, I found myself 
um, they trusted me a lot. And suddenly <laughs> I kind of started feeling like they were coming to me for questions, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, no one knew how to use ZBrush because yeah. it was so new at the time. But at home, I was ZBrushing my little heart out because I was just like, that's the future, you know? So mm. I was, so I knew where all the buttons were. Um, I wouldn't say I was the best sculptor in the world, but mm -hmm. I just knew how ZBrush works. So I had yeah. a lot of old school guys coming to me, mm. guys and girls uh, coming to me and going like, hey, uh, what's, uh, uh, you know, how do I do this in ZBrush? And then they would try for five minutes and just like yeah. hate the interface and be like, Simon, <laughs> can you just do this? And so I'd find myself like, I felt, yeah, very, very empowered um, mm. because I felt like all my previous knowledge and all my tinkering at home mm. was actually helpful in that environment. And they started trusting me with like entire commercials. Like yeah. there's some commercials on my reel at the time mm -hmm. where all the 3D like was me, like yeah. all the modeling, the texturing, mm. uh, probably not the animation because that wasn't really my bag. Mm -hmm. uh, although I did some crowd simulations, yeah. you know, randomly. Um, I was just, I was just such a jack of all trade, you know, but like some commercials, I almost, I, I can almost point out all the 3D and just be like, that's all mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really empowering. So I got mm -hmm. like some serious kind of probably a little bit misplaced self-confidence there. Right, yeah. Um, to the point where like after when I went to Fuel and then Dr. D, mm -hmm. I was very much, I was not a, I was not the greatest guy. Um, I think I had too much of an ego. I just, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, if I, if I met myself now, if I met myself then now, I would probably not like myself very much. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, at that time at Amologic really kind of boosted my ego a little bit mm -hmm. too far out. Um, and then uh, when I left Dr. D and, and, and started at Weta, that was like a humbling experience. Yeah. Like all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah. I was <laughs> uh yeah. yeah that was like yeah very very humbling uh mm -hmm. and what what taught me definitely being more humble like right that's what i got out okay, of yeah. Weta is you know it's just like anything there's always someone better than you there's always uh and there are people who are so much better than you than than that you you can't even yeah, understand how their own brains work yeah, exactly, they're yeah. so much smarter that mm. that they're like aliens to you yeah <laughs> yeah exactly, some yeah. of the some of the technical people there were just like mm. whoa yeah um and uh so yeah being humble but what weta also taught me is that I didn't want to kill myself for yep. the work yeah because it was the some of the best work around um and if I was going to kill myself on anything it would have it you know avatar is a pretty good one yep. um but I did kind of realize that like that wasn't it wasn't worth it um it wasn't worth it uh, so when I got to London I kind of went in with that same frame of mind mm -hmm. of I've done the whole thing of like killing yeah. myself until midnight and yeah. I'm pl not planning on doing this again, whether it's for the money or, mm -hmm. uh, or the coolness of the project. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no. you know, I'm just not going to do this, mm -hmm. but I was wrong because I had to do it for many years. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> because, yeah. Uh, London is quite notorious mm. for uh, doing that. Yeah. I didn't have to make the decision about, uh, the money part of it because London doesn't pay you over time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, 
but yeah, coming to London, um, yeah, I still kind of still worked a little bit longer than I would have liked to. Mm. Yeah. 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 Are you able to tell us a bit about your your current role at Untold Studios and yeah? Uh yeah, yeah. Um so it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of like a dream job. Um mm. so the the thing that I've been learning on the side, you, you know, I've always mm. I always try to have something on the side that I'm learning yeah. for the last few years before <laughs> um pretty much from the time I started the mocap studio. Um onwards uh i i was learning unreal uh unreal engine on the side um mainly because for mocap studio it was a good thing to have like real-time feedback of mocap characters and stuff like that uh, but also just because i i wanted to to get into real time um had a quite a pretty big passion for vr when it first came out i was really into it really wanted to get some vr stuff done so i started learning both unity and unreal um, for a while, I was kind of using Unity a lot more because it was easier to get uh, from point A to point B quickly. quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as I kind of sub- dropped the, the whole VR thing um, and sort of moved on to like thinking about using game engines to do short films more, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, Unreal became like the obvious choice. Uh, so I've been learning Unreal on the side for quite a few years. Um, and never really thought that like I would get the opportunity to use it um, right. at work. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year, um, at Untold, I was taking care of most mostly the the CFX and and creature simulation stuff. So, mm-hmm. like um, the muscle stuff as well as like hair sims okay. and cloth sims and things like that. And um, and that was sort of mainly my bag. But because I had done that for quite a while at ILM. I had, I think I had a pretty, an approach to the creature simulation stuff that was quite efficient, uh, which meant that it didn't actually take that much time for me to do, get the shots done. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I did some late nights here and there, mostly waiting for animation publishers so I could kick off my, uh, my Sims. Yeah. Um, but the actual day-to-day work wasn't as heavy. So um, I was getting involved with pitches more and more uh, okay. with um, some of the producers at, at Untold were like, hey, we heard that you you like Unreal or you've used Unreal. Uh, these clients are tell- uh, asking us about Unreal. Um, do you have any ideas? And I would just be like so excited. I'd be like, mm. yeah, i got ideas. <laughs> well, hang on a sec. And I would literally, instead of, you know, typing up an email or something, I would just open up Unreal and just start like messing yeah. around with stuff and putting a light here and there and mm. just doing a little bit of a demo of a mocap mm-hmm. character walking around mm-hmm. and just sending that back to them. And I was like, you know, you could do something like this or like that. And and I think it kind of like uh, caught the attention of the right people uh, where they were like, wait, isn't this guy supposed to be working on this? And they're like, yeah, no, he's actually doing the work, but yeah. he's also doing this. Um, mm. And I think they thought, all right, you know, maybe maybe his heart is in, uh, is mm, in real time. Okay. Um, and because it's such a new, um, domain, mm. um, I think, um, I think it was probably a good thing that I was an old school VFX yeah. guy mm-hmm. in that, um, I had like a proven track record of being reliable in delivering, um, what I say I would deliver. Yeah. And I think with this real time stuff, it's a real danger at the moment because there's a lot of mavericks um, who, you know, have a big mouth uh, 
And then when you actually start working with them, you realize that they just have no idea how 3D works at all. Like they've, you know, they've imported a bunch of mega scans into Unreal and that's pretty much what they've learned how to do. And they yeah. move the, the sunlight and then yeah. they're like, oh man, look at me, you know, and yeah. they make a showreel out of that. Yeah. But then when, when you actually come down to uh, working with them, you realize they know nothing um so i think i think from that side of things they were like well you know if if we're going to have a real-time supervisor might as well have someone um who we know um knows you know 3d Uh, and and so that that was uh that was cool so they they offered me the job uh end of last year and then it was supposed to kick off in january which it did Mm. and um it's a it's a lovely place to be because it's a completely new department um and kind of a new discipline as well we've already got uh two uh really fun jobs in the pipeline uh one is like a animation um short film uh the other one is more of a real-time kind of uh, mm-hmm. mocap performance type of deal Mm-hmm. So both with their own completely different challenges yeah. uh, and the department is it, completely in its infancy. So we're building infrastructure. Uh, we're completely on the cloud uh, at Untold. So uh, we're running engine uh, Unreal Engine yeah. on the cloud as well. So there's, there's a whole bunch of optimization that needs okay. to come with that. Um, you know, setting up a proper Perforce workflow and, and, and all that like source control <clears throat> because it's, you can't treat, real time like you treat an old school vfx mm-hmm. pipeline the the data management isn't the same mm-hmm. you can't uh you know reference files off disk you know it has to go through this conversion process to turn into a ui set to to live inside the project uh, directory of the engine so because of that there's a yeah the, the the workflow is different and you need to treat it differently um yeah. which is kind of a tough tough nut to crack because <clears throat> Ideally, you want someone that works in the VFX side of things to be able to just jump on onto an Unreal job and feel at home and work like they usually work. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side, you have to remember that, like, you know, a very good example is that in in Nuke or Houdini, if you want to try three different textures, you just import all three yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you just plug them yeah. and just mm-hmm. like switch between the three and you go like, mm-hmm. which one's mm-hmm. best, you know? Yeah. Um, if you do that with Unreal, you're going to go through, you know, a whole import process, which is much slower than referencing yeah. from disk. Mm-hmm. Then you're creating IO, uh, which, you know, you have to be careful in big pipelines when a lot of people are working. IO is, is a dangerous thing to, uh, to bottleneck. Yeah. Um, and so you're creating a lot more IO. And then on top of that, you're just putting so much useless data in the project cache. Okay. So they're like, while you're working, every time you import a texture, Unreal compresses that information, puts it in a cache somewhere mm-hmm. to remember it. Uh, and it doesn't really link back to the JPEG or the EXR that you had on disk. So that cache, uh, when you delete that texture, that cache stays so because there, Unreal yeah. doesn't know that you've deleted that mm. texture. It doesn't care. It just keeps the cache. So you have this massive cache that starts building and building and building. And then suddenly everyone's uh, cloud machines are like running out of space. Uh, because because of all that crazy useless yeah. information that's being built in, so to change the workflow, you can't really just tell the artist like this is how it works. Because most artists they just want to do their work, yeah. uh, and if they want to check three textures, they want to find a way to check three textures easily. So you have to start building tools um, that behave like 
what they are used to, Mm -hmm. but behind the scenes kind of does something else. Um, So that's the challenges that we're going through now. Uh, We're hiring. uh, So that's, you know, probably worth noting. We are Mm. hiring. (laughs) (laughs) This is not why I came on the podcast, but we're hiring. Yeah. Um, We're hiring, uh, you know, in especially uh, technically apt uh, uh, Unreal artists. Um, We are absolutely looking for technical animators, technical uh, artists. which are the, these are the words, the, the, the sort of the job titles in the games industry. They call them technical artists and technical animators. Um, in VFX terms, um, I would call them, you know, rigging and, and motion capture uh, specialists and uh, shader artists. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, we've, uh, we've hired our first um, pipeline um so de- department specific pipeline mm. pipeline td yeah. so i'm really excited about that because we're going to start being able to build a framework mm. above um all the uh kind of complex cloud infrastructure yeah. that we've built so far mm. um and uh yeah we have new exciting projects knocking on the door every day so there's there's going to be a lot of work yeah. uh, in that space and specifically a lot of work at untold uh, in the next in the coming year oh yeah sure yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what do you see happening with um, Unreal in real time um, over the coming years, and what the best use case for for it will be for the VFX industry, as well as for general consumerism, such as the future of film and cinema, and like for VR and AR. That's a that's an interesting one. That's <clears throat> it's it's, um, it's a it's a hard one to answer. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I see, I think probably the lowest, well, currently the obvious um, application of Unreal is on XR stages, um, LED screens, um, what some people called virtual production. <clears throat> now it seems like uh, Unreal themselves have coined a new term called ICVFX, in camera okay. VFX. All right. Okay. Um, which I, I prefer that term because it separates it from the virtual mm-hmm. production. Virtual production kind of inco- uh, covers too too many things, and yeah. and it makes it a bit complicated to explain the difference. And so LED screen, ICV effects. I'm on board with that terminology. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, yeah, that's the lowest hanging fruit. They they're already kind of the main um, the main platform for that. Um, uh, there's there's not a lot of alternatives uh, to do do that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's definitely, that's that's a, an, a really good way into hardcore VFX for Unreal because you have to use a game engine or a real-time renderer to be able to change the, the parallax uh, mm-hmm. for the camera in real time. So it's, it's, an, it's an easy kind of, uh, it, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, there's just no other way around it. So they really got in through that, and it's 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 really good. Um, but then the the problem the problem or the next challenge that they're going to face, I guess, moving into trying to shift that across to like final VFX, is I think because it's an engine that's designed to build in real time, it it really doesn't think it doesn't like to think and behave in the way that VFX artists have. Um, 
been trained for decades to work. Mm-hmm. And the way that we've been working was with always the maximum resolution for everything. So if your computer can handle an 8K texture, you're going to put an 8K texture in it. Uh, and because everything is deferred and everything can be sent to the farm in a reliable way, you know, I know that farm, farms crash, but mm. you know, when a frame crashes, it doesn't corrupt your entire project. Um, you, the, the philosophy and the approach to work is, is very much about um, the optimization gets done at render time, but all of the source files are uh, massive because luckily enough, the renderers that we use are smart enough to sample only the bits and pieces of a texture that it needs. Mm-hmm. And because the entire texture doesn't necessarily to be, need to be loaded in memory all the time, or all the textures in that scene don't need to be loaded in memory all the time, all the renderers are quite smart about managing their memory and, and you know, creating very detailed stuff uh, like that. Unreal doesn't really think like that. And so optimization needs to be done from the ground up. And there's a lot of strategy that needs to be uh, put into place. <laughs> Even with the new uh, Lumen um, and uh, I forget the name of the polygon thing now, but uh, uh, right click, convert to, oh, I forget. Uh, but the new, you know, massive poly- polygon importer thing that they they've got, um, it it's interesting and yeah, it is a lot of detail and it t- it kind of like starts tying into what I was saying about like being able to import massive models and stuff, <clears throat> and it's great, but you just don't have the kind of control over uh, over this geometry that you would in Houdini, for example. Like in Houdini, if you want to create an entire city down to like every you know every pipe every window everything and every building is at the same resolution there's no lod no nothing and theoretically you were making a movie called inception and you wanted that whole city to like be curled over into a tidal wave Mm. you could do that and the approach to doing it isn't is insanely technical. Like you don't have to start hiring an entire slew of uh, programmers to rewrite the entire engine so that it can do what you're asking it to do. You can't do that in Unreal. It's that simple. You, you, you could do it in a different way with a much different approach. And it would be very, very, uh, you would have to like be very careful about what you do and how you do it. In Houdini, you just put a big old deformer on it and you just deform the crap out of it and it works, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's the sort of thing that where I think wherever Unreal kind of gives you fast and quick feedback and freedom, there's also a cost as far as it, it can't move a million points in space um, at a time, you know, it can't deform a million points in space at a time. Mm -hmm. Not saying that in, you know, five, 10 years, it won't be able to through the magic of some, you know, custom design chip from NVIDIA Mm -hmm. or something like that. But uh, until then, it's still very much a renderer. And -hmm. it's a renderer that you need to treat very, very nicely. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful with what you feed it uh, if you want to get a good result out of it. Um, When you look at something like Arnold or, you know, or Mantra or RenderMan, 
I mean, those renderers are now, they're not programmed to, to be fast. They're programmed to simulate exactly how light scatters through somebody's skin or, uh, or close enough to exactly, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the new renderers popping up. Um, I think there's a paper for SIGGRAPH that was released recently of uh, Manuka, which is Weta's custom renderer uh, and Animal Logic's custom renderer. Um, I don't know what that's called. <clears throat> they're writing a paper about doing spectral lighting uh, simulation. So instead of you know simulating RGB like most renderers do today, you're you're actually simulating the the entire rainbow, right. Uh, right. and and that way you get much more uh, realistic light scattering. Mm -hmm. um, there's an old program called View, which used to do like really nice clouds and and uh, and mountains and stuff. Yes. I think that was one of the first programs to ever kind of have a spectral right. renderer. Right. Um, but you know. The result showed that you know that it could do in 2004. It could do like render renders of clouds and mountains that looked yeah. incredibly realistic, and nothing else could do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, like the renderers, the offline renderers are pushing realism to such an extent. Um, you can't realistically, you know, expect that sort of thing to be able to run in real time. <laughs> so I see uh, Unreal Engine not necessarily catching up, or probably ever in that space. Mm -hmm. um, but I do see them catching up in things where realism doesn't matter as much. Um, okay. So uh, animated series, you know, I'm thinking like uh, Clone Wars, you know, the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. um, kids animation as well, like all the stuff that's on TV that looks like mm -hmm. it was just kind of lit with one GI light and, yeah. you know, Bob's your yeah. uncle. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff that is just, that is unreal is going to just yeah. march into that market and just take over mm -hmm. uh, because suddenly you know you, you're just not ready waiting for renders yeah. anymore at all and the cost the cost to frame ratio that that you can kind of get is is insane you know like my department at the moment like we just don't use the render farm at all so mm -hmm. as as for, compared to the other departments even the animators use mm -hmm. the farm more than we do right yeah um and and that's uh and that's a huge cost saving because every node on that farm is is, yep. is costing right. money yep. it's a serious overhead so i think you know especially with series form because you have a lot of rendering to do uh and it just needs to be done again and again in the same way it's it's like a rinse and repeat kind of thing uh i see unreal as being like i think if you were starting a children's animation studio now and you weren't considering doing it all in Unreal, I think, yeah, you'd be remiss because for, for quantity, to, if, you, if you need to just output like some serious quantity, it's gonna mm -hmm. save you a lot of money yeah. uh, on, on rendering and licenses and everything. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> and Lumen is looking pretty gorgeous. Uh, the, the, it, it, it really, it, it can really hold up. Um, to that sort of quality, I think. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, if, if your entire TV show is like shiny little silver figurines, maybe you're going to need a few more ray trace bounces. So yeah. maybe Unreal is not your friend there. Mm. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, uh, that would be a, a market that it, it can move mm -hmm. in and take over, I think. Yeah. And then there's, there's this, this whole new market that it's creating. Um, and I think again, like we'd be silly to kind of ignore it, but that's, that's the real time influences or the real time, mm -hmm. um, you know, streamers and stuff like that. Like, yeah. 
those are uh, very important pieces of IP that are being birthed right now uh, for the first time. It's a completely new way of using animation and, and CG to interact with an audience mm -hmm. uh, and create a following and create a brand. And um, uh, it's still very, very new, but I think that has huge potential in the future, uh, probably more so than a lot of people right now realize. Um, and I think there's no other way to do it well at the moment, except for Unreal. Um, probably Unity with a you know close second, but but Unreal is definitely the, the best tool for the job right now. Yeah, yeah, sure, amazing, very interesting. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh yeah, and uh, concept art. I all right, Unreal should be used a lot in concept art. Um, if we could teach okay. you know concept artists to to use it a bit more. Um, that would be handy because yeah, mega scans, you know, it'll let you just okay, yeah. do your whole course, thing yeah. and then you paint over it and it's beautiful, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. My, yeah. My next question is, um, yeah. What have you learned with leading artists and taking on great responsibility on, on the many shows that you've been involved in? Um, Initially, when I was a bit younger, I learned that I didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, my first time officially leading was at uh, Double Negative um, mm -hmm. uh, when I was working on um, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. And um, I wasn't much of an effects specialist. I mean, I had mm -hmm. been in the effects department. I went out for a while. But it still wasn't my thing. Like it wasn't. I wanted to be a Houdini generalist, and I also wanted my career to go towards creatures. Um, but sort of, I don't know. Dineg decided that, like for some reason, I'd, I'd make a good effects lead. Um, mm -hmm. And that was my first time supervising a team of people who were much better than me. <laughs> and and I was clearly aware of it, and I just didn't want to be in that position. So. I mean, I, you know, I got given a job and I did it, you know, uh, um, but I, I tried to be, I tried to, as, as a lead on that job, what I tried to do is take on as much of the boring stuff uh, or the annoying stuff or the stuff that was broken uh, and kind of leave the the good sort of juicy simulation stuff to to my team so that they just had a good time on yeah, sure. the job or as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So basically I just took on all the bad stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, as well as I've no I noticed that, especially in my team on that job, they weren't very communicative people. They, they were really good at what they did, but mm -hmm. they were more of a keep your yeah. head down, work hard kind of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but in dailies, they just didn't have the, the tools to yeah. work through what a vfx supervisor had to say um and because i had much more experience than them in that department um i can talk obviously mm. <laughs> <laughs> um i i was there I, I was usually there for them in dailies so every time any of them had to be in dailies i was there with them didn't speak for them because that's not my place so but i could kind of gauge when they were being asked a question or told to do something and they just didn't reply for a bit or they you know they've either their voice was shaky or they just didn't know what to say 
that's when I would jump in <clears throat> and kind of go, yeah, yeah, we're doing it like this because we plan on doing that. And, you know, shut up, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll get it done. Calm yeah, down. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, I wasn't that bad, but it was more like I was kind of like a confident voice yeah, uh, sure, yeah. in dailies for them, mm. um, which I think helped a lot because otherwise you can start. Yeah. You know, VFX supervisors, you know, just like any other job, there are great ones, mm -hmm. there are absolutely terrible ones. Mm -hmm. And the terrible ones will make you waste so much of your time yep. and so much of your precious Stress life mm -hmm. yep. on absolutely pointless stuff mm -hmm. that they will just call out because that's their job, mm. I guess, to just say, fix yep. this, even though it doesn't need fixing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them have very little kind of... Um, long-term vision of what of how the shot is going to come together as well mm -hmm. so if they see like something that looks a bit previsy mm -hmm. and they're not really sure what they're looking at they're kind of like what am i looking at here yep. you know with you know so there there are some terrible ones out there mm -hmm. and when you're faced with those really bad vfx soups out there um you definitely need somebody in dailies yeah. like what i was doing at that yeah, time sure. defending them uh and just kind of like reframing things and saying like, look, 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 look. I know he said to resim this whole thing, but do not resim this whole thing like mm -hmm. that. It's yeah, sure. yeah, that your sim looks awesome. We'll mm -hmm. find another way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it was very difficult and very soul crushing. Um, and also just not great for the ego because, you know, they, they were just clearly better Houdini TDs than I was. And I shouldn't, you know, I didn't feel like I should be leading them. Um, uh, so I just kind of left Dineg uh, sort of not wanting to really lead. And I kind of had made my, I, I had made my decision to just become a really, really old senior. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be one of those guys who just, they're like 50 and they're seniors mm -hmm. and they're well-paid and they can mm -hmm. do everything they do in their sleep. They go home yeah. at six, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, maybe, I, maybe I should just do that. Um, <laughs> As soon as I got into ILM um, in Creatures, almost as soon as, uh, they asked me to do half Creatures, half FX, um, uh, because the head of FX at ILM at the time was somebody whom, uh, with whom I had worked before at DNEG. And I, I think he just, he, he liked working with me. And I, for some reason, he just kind of wanted me to be, to just, mm -hmm. To be part of the effects department and not yeah. just focus on creature sim, mm -hmm. uh, so I was okay with that. And uh, he's, you know, a lovely guy and a genius mm -hmm. as well. Uh, uh, and so he kind of convinced me bit by bit to like take on a, a lead role on effects again. Uh, so I did. I was a lead on uh, Star Wars Seven, and uh, again, same thing. I just then find found myself leading these two absolutely mm -hmm. awesome. TDs yeah. who just, I mean, uh, one of them, one of them was the this guy called uh, Miguel Perez Senent. Uh, if that doesn't ring a bell, he's he's the guy who did the um, the breach um, monster coming out of the water, uh, smashing a uh, a ship like a container ship. Okay. It's been it's been doing the rounds on LinkedIn. All right, yeah. uh, recently, yeah. it looks like it came straight out of you know, mm. uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Uh, and he did that at home on his computer with no right. render farm. Like, right. yeah. uh, he's, yeah, he's same, a genius. Yeah. Um, mm. I bet he was telling, he was, he was, he was helping people on odd force 
right. uh, when he was 15. Like uh, the guy's like a Mozart mm. of, yeah. of freaking of yeah. VFX. It's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I was I find find myself being this guy's lead. And the other one was a guy called Attila Torok, who's also just one of the absolute best Houdini TDs, okay. you know, in the world, I think. He now works for side effects uh, mm-hmm. and he's responsible for a lot of the, or probably all of the new pyro tools. Okay. So if you, if you've seen the, the, the last side effects, you know, Houdini mm-hmm. demo with all the giant like fire sims and, and all that, like he did that. He did that. Mm. Um, so, you know, here I am, you know, mm. not really liking effects. Like I'm not a big effects yeah. guy. I always wanted to mm. not do effects and just focus on characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding myself, you know, leading these two, you know, geniuses. Mm. Um, I, I, again, I did it uh, probably in the same way that, you know, I did it at DNEG, which was take on the stuff that wasn't much fun so that they can focus on the, on the really mm. good stuff. Um, and then, you know, be a voice for them in dailies if they need it. Uh, and then after that, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm yeah. just no more, no more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, but then, yeah, things change. I, you know, quit VFX. Uh, well, you know, what I thought was like the end. So I quit ILM and I thought, all right, I'm done with VFX. I'm just mm-hmm. going to try to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Started the mocap studio mm-hmm. uh, and just worked in an environment that was so different for a few years of, you know, um, kind of like being a, a, a nomad freelancer, but in mocap. Um, it was a bit of a struggle, uh, but it was uh, really interesting and really different. But it did kind of start make, it, it made me miss the teamwork uh, that we had in VFX, you know. Um, and and, and, it, and also, I think I, I learned things uh, during that time about what leadership means and what i didn't understand back at dneg and ilm was that my leadership doesn't necessarily mean being the best at houdini or being the best at unreal or whatever software it is sometimes well more often than not good leadership is simply just being able to not only manage your team and when i say manage it's not just like you know, put this person on this job in this job and, oh, they're not busy. So let's just put them on this is actually knowing your team enough to know the tasks that they would get excited about doing and, and do uh, well because of that reason. Mm -hmm. So you, it's not really like a terrible manager will just look at a spreadsheet and think the numbers add up Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think management is much more about knowing your team incredibly well. Um, and, you know, uh, it's probably bad form these days to say like, you know, go to the pub and have a beer with them because you also have to respect the fact that yeah. not everyone mm-hmm. drinks beer yeah. uh, or wants to go to the pub or, mm-hmm. you know, so, but if you can find time to have more personal ways of connecting uh, with your team, I think as a manager, you'll just be able to, in a way predict what what makes them happy and through that you will get you will get a better bang for your buck uh, they will work harder and, and do yeah. a better job um, and there are also some people that are just not aware of how s- skilled they are at certain things and so if you just listen to what they say they want to do like i want to do this or i want to do that uh, you may also be missing the fact that they're extremely talented at doing this third thing 
And you have to find a way to make them understand that and maybe give that third thing a shot because they're yeah. really good at it. Um, you can't do that if you don't know your team very well. <laughs> and so my time at the mocap studio gave me time to reflect on that. Uh, and then I uh, started at Untold. And because it was a pretty small studio at the time and a really new studio, and I was quite senior by that stage, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, I came in, when I came into Untold, the dynamics were very different to the dynamics of me coming into a place like Dineg or, or, or Weta or ILM, because, you know, at Weta, ILM and Dineg, there were 40 other people just like me, you know? Um, and so I wasn't, I didn't feel special in any way. And they just didn't have time to treat me yeah. as someone who was special because yeah. we weren't, we were just one of thousands yeah. of people. Um, <clears throat> at uh, Untold, the studio was very new, but it was also crewed by very, very senior or very experienced people. Yeah. And so the fact that there was a smaller crew of people who had been through, you know, through the ringer, like, mm -hmm. like I had, um, we all spoke the same language immediately yeah. and we all kind of, we, we all had an understanding pretty quickly. And, and then the, the big thing was suddenly I felt actually listened to. So instead yeah. of being in a meeting and saying like, you know, can we please just start using a Lambic as a caching format, you know, <laughs> which is what I did when I first got to London, like big, big battles about like, let's yeah. just use a Lambic because your custom formats are not mm -hmm. working. Um, uh, now it's, 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 you know, when I'm in those meetings, if I bring up an idea like that, it's going to be Implementing. considered mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and generally I won't say it if it's not right. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> because I'll keep my mouth shut if I'm not sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and, and so then that was a nice thing is I just, I, I had much more influence over how things uh, were done, which was good. And, um, and then it, yeah, build that ego back again. Um, and I, uh, when they offered me a supervisory job, job, I was like, I think I've kind of sat down and thought about it and kind of mold over my previous experiences for long enough that now I feel like I can try and do it the right way. Um, and yeah. And the, the biggest, uh, thing that I don't want to do is treat crew like a commodity. And so that, that will be, you know, as we grow as a department, uh, that would be my absolute priority is that um, everyone who works in the department is looked at and seen uh, entirely and not just, not, just, not just through the lens of their submissions on Shotgun, not just through the lens of how they communicate via email or on Zoom, but actually trying to absolutely understand uh, where every single new hire um, comes, like mm -hmm. I, I want to say comes from, but like comes from in their yeah. mind, you know, yes, like, exactly. yeah. Yeah. like where the their true, heart yeah. is, exactly. where, yeah. the, the true them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and look, if somebody's not really comfortable talking to me about something personal, that's not what I'm asking for. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I will, just... I will hound them and yeah. ask them about, what they want to do, what makes yeah, them yeah. happy and what doesn't, because mm. um, I think that's the kind of manager that I want to be. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're essentially, you want the best for them. You want to get them. Yeah. 
yeah, 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 literally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it might sound a bit grandiose to say it like it's it's like a family, you know, mm. um, but but it is. You spend, mm. you know, well, not not with work from home, but yeah. back in the day, you know, mm. we'd have to spend more time in the office yeah. with our team than we do with our partners and children, mm. you know. Yeah. Um. So, well, or more more awake time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when you're sleeping, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah it's it, it needs to be um treated um with emotional intelligence mm. and i think that's what a lot of i would mm. say you know a lot a lot a lot of lead supervisors mm. a lot of people in power generally um mm-hmm. have very little emotional intelligence um <clears throat> especially when it comes to work mm. Mm. yeah yeah um funny st- funny question but um considering how far back your like your journey has started um and and you're still going so i'm just wondering if do do vfx artists retire <laughs> <laughs> well i'm i'm 38 now mm. um or 37 going on 38 um well you know it's it we've i've been We've been talking about that with my wife a little bit right. here and there. Uh, I'm also very fortunate that the decision to come to London f- to help her career mm. uh, also became like quite a fruitful um, mm. uh, event. Okay. Um, so she's, um, you know, a very professional uh, woman and um, who works really hard. Um, and together as a team, we're, we've been able to um, put ourselves in a, you know, quite a stable financial situation yeah, sure. which mm-hmm. is not something that's given to everyone unfortunately yeah. uh you know all of it you know a, a lot of it was luck uh, as well as hard work but you know yeah, luck as well and and the the thing there is like yeah um do we want to retire you know um my instinct is I, the best example is I tried to take some holidays at the beginning of this year or end of last year. Uh, yeah. I had worked throughout the entire year and I didn't take a single uh, holiday. Mm-hmm. And then I also uh, racked up a whole bunch of time in lieu mm-hmm. uh, because I was doing some some weekends and stuff like that to, to finish a few jobs. And <clears throat> I came to like uh, November and realized, oh, mm-hmm. like I've got like two months or yeah. um, two months and a half mm-hmm. of <laughs> holiday that I need to take. And, uh, and I might lose some of it next year if I don't take them now. So I was like, uh, I think I'm just going to take December and January um, yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily I'm told we're like, yeah, go for it. You yeah. worked out enough. Like yeah. <laughs> you deserve it. Just yeah. take your time off. Uh, very understanding. Mm. So I just disappeared for two months and, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, you didn't enjoy that. <laughs> came to about yeah because the thing is my wife wasn't able to take the same amount of time so you know for the first few weeks it was fun but then (laughs) then she goes back to work and it's locked down as well so i'm like in here what do i do i i i I should have been learning guitar Mm. or more but Mm -hmm. i I didn't because i've got more guitar and i've got too many guitars and not enough skill but um I was just, um, I just sat right here at my computer and mm. then started kind of looking at some of the characters that Untold had made in the past. And then just like, well, I might just try to like optimize it for Unreal. Mm. 
And then next thing you know, it's like it's working. And then I'm putting a mocap suit on, and then I'm <laughs> making the blend shapes. Yeah. And and then I realized like the whole of January that was supposed to be a holiday. I just working, ended up uh, doing this character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like if I retire, um, I'm going to definitely need to find a way to be busy somehow. Mm. Um, whether if whether whether it's a short film or mm. I don't know what it is. I don't think yeah. it will be a short film. Mm. Um, I just I've I've tried and wanted to make short films so many times, and I just I don't like my own ideas, which okay. is a really annoying thing. Mm. Um, every time I come up with an idea, I just don't like it. Um, right. So maybe I should just, you know, team up with somebody who has an okay, idea yeah. that they're passionate mm. about and I just can help them make it a reality yeah, sure. or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, um, yeah, retirement. Yeah, that's mm. a weird one. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, what's, your, what's your, next big, your next big challenge or interest? I mean, I know you, you mentioned your... Unreal is that is that is that next big thing I'm told, but um, would you say that that's the next big challenge, or do you personally have any next big challenges or any interests? Mm. That's a good question. I think my my next really big challenge isn't really going to be Unreal itself, <laughs> but I think it's going to be. Grow, growing this department um, because, you know, the reality of it is um, I've never managed an entire full-blown active department um, before. Yeah. And luckily it's, it's growing at a, at a, at a pace that is as slow as the amount of people that we can find because yeah. uh, it's so hard to find skilled on real TDs. Yeah. Um, but uh as it grows bigger and bigger, I think my biggest challenge and probably the biggest source of stress for me will be making sure that the, you know, the gears are turning and that, and that things are actually uh, being set up for success uh, yeah. in terms of the dynamics within the department, the dynamics of the department communicating with other departments. Um, also just you know making sure that my department is using resources wisely uh, because you know it's all it's all fun and dandy and and awesome to say you know i want my my i want my department to be a family and i want to you know everyone to be happy and i want emotional intelligence <laughs> but you know the nitty gritty is you know there's a budget and that budget needs to be spent properly and and intelligently and and you know the studio has to turn a profit uh, if we want to take a next step into the next year so uh balancing all of that is going to be much more uh, a much bigger source of of anxiety for me than yeah. learning how to mm -hmm. make a skin shader in unreal <laughs> yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah um yeah well, i don't want to keep you long but my last two questions would be um like so what if you were to give someone ad ad advice for for sure okay say you're recruiting um what do you tend to look for in terms of sure sure uh, um quality or assessment for either unreal or cfx or or mm. efx um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, 
the the easy way the easy way to hire generally is to look at experience um it's it's unfortunate become because that becomes like that whole catch 22 of you don't have any experience so you can't get a job but you can't you know but if if you want a relatively reliable metric to know that you're gonna hire somebody who's going to deliver is you look at experience generally i first look at um well i i, I look at the you know the the level of the studios that they've worked in partly um because there are just too many studios out there um that you know will just do a couple of architectural renders and you know and you're just like yeah okay you work there but yeah who are they um but so so the bigger ones you know that they've kind of worked in the same environment and they they speak the same language and they understand the dynamics of you know the review process that that we have in vfx mm -hmm. so you know that they're not going to be jarred when they come in mm -hmm. and just go like whoa this yep. this is how the industry works you know mm -hmm. so partly for for that reason experience in in vfx and in companies you know similar to ours yeah. um but second i also look at the frequency uh, at which they've changed companies um i i generally get worried about people who have changed too frequently okay uh if i see three months here two months there three months here two months there i see someone who either either is a freelancer and usually freelancers like freelancing so they just continue freelancing and what i'm looking for is full-time people are ready to kind of be dedicated to the the, yeah. the department um or somebody who just keeps getting fired or getting mm -hmm. let go or not renewed and then just mm -hmm. goes and find their next gig and because they've worked here 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 and there they get the next gig and yeah and there are a lot of people like that as well out there in the industry that just you know have a LinkedIn like this big, but it's like three months at a time. Yeah. Um, and then you cross them once in, in the studio and you're like, oh, that's why. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the uh so I get I get worried about that as well. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, if you generally, you know, you've been at a uh, you you can stay at a studio for two to three years. Um that's that to me makes me uh yeah. more confident in hiring. Then uh, and obviously, you know, that's that's the the tip for the the younger people who don't have enough experience to just be able to show two years here, three years there, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, I'll look at I look at a, a demo reel. Um, but generally, like. Uh, what I look at problem solving in demo reels, like I, I, I don't again, like a good example for a unreal engine demo reel if if what you're sending on your reel is imported mega scans with the default um you know suns and atmosphere system loaded in uh the sun set to uh dusk mm. so it looks all cool and it's got the and then you've got a slow pan of a camera going like this with a couple of trees that you've also got from mega scans. It's going to look really pretty. You're going to get a billion likes on LinkedIn and, and YouTube uh, because it looks so awesome, but it, it shows no real skill uh, per se, you know? Um, so I'll, for, for unreal demo reels, I'm going to be looking for things that may not look as whiz bang, but actually demonstrate an actual understanding of how the engine works. Um, especially in shading, 
uh, I would be much more impressed by, um, you know, a uh, shortest spot, like a shortest path finding method uh, that that crawls over a texture on a shader, than I would a few mega scans imported sure. with a directional light. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, just to just to um, end it up, I'm just wondering if you can share any advice for anyone looking to get into the industry or pursue a similar journey to yours? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend the same as mine. <laughs> um, I think I, I, my, my journey was as, ec as eclectic as it was because I think because of where I came from had no real industry and I just had to make do with the jobs that were offered to me. Uh, so I would just, my, my first goal was I want to work at that company and then whatever that company had for me, I would just take it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really choose my path in many ways. Um, I just kind of survived it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started making more rational decision and, and wanting to follow a path when I joined ILM after quitting DNEG and decided I want to do creature simulation. That's where I always wanted to be. And I need to get in there because I'm not getting any younger and I'm sick of people always making me do effects. I don't want to do effects. I just want to do creature stuff. So I got a job that was my actual job title was creature TD. And I was like, yes, okay, now, now, I've made, finally, I've, I've taken a job, not just to take a job, but to actually do what I want to do. Um, the nice thing about the new, the schools that people come from now when they, when they do, you know, schools, mm -hmm. um, is that those schools kind of help you find that direction a little bit uh, yeah. first. And then they help you get that first job in that department. Mm -hmm. And then it allows you to focus on that and, and become very good at it. Um, it doesn't really stop you from changing department down the track if you want to, but it does allow you to be able to choose your path a little bit early on in your career than what I had to deal with. Um, so I would say, yeah, embrace that. Embrace the fact that you're able to kind of choose your path at university and maybe spend a bit of time actually really kind of asking yourself what it is that you want to do because the way that it's structured now, you will be able to do it in, in, when you get out of school. Yeah. Um, so if you don't like rigging and you're at uni right now and your group project <laughs> decided that you were going to do the rigging because everybody else wanted to do something else and you don't want to do rigging, don't do the rigging on that project. Keep fighting <laughs> yeah. because that might put you in the wrong direction too quickly. Right. Um, but more importantly, when you do apply for your jobs, apply for the departments that you uh, want to do. And also, you know, maybe uh, don't be too in a rush to go to the big studios with big names. Um, I think that probably would be the most valuable uh, thing I could say to a graduate right now. The schools will bang into your head that, you know, so-and-so went to ILM, so-and-so went to Weta, so-and-so went to the... so many people in those companies suck as well you know like these companies are not you know mm. little paradises of mm. gods of vfx you know mm. there are idiots everywhere 
and uh, the name of these companies also allow them to take a lot, take advantage of you a lot more than smaller companies can. Um, and you know there are also very big companies, so toxic bubbles appear in these big companies because the upper management can't have oversight of everything. And so you can have these little toxic departments or toxic kind of projects mm-hmm. uh, popping up everywhere. <clears throat> Smaller companies, everything's more out in the open. Um, and more importantly, smaller companies, uh, I think, especially in the beginning of your career, will teach you more about how everything works in the pipeline rather than keeping you isolated in a department mm-hmm. that doesn't really put you in touch with the other departments because you're just kind of doing what you're doing a little bit like a robot and just outputting that down the line and then the lighters picks it up and they do their magic on it and you never really hear about it again. Um, you get a lot more ownership of, of what you do when you're in a smaller studio uh, and working on slightly smaller projects. And, um, and the, the, the team building skills that you get uh, are quite important as well. Yeah. Big studios will shuffle you around like um, uh, musical chairs. Yeah. You, you won't be sitting next to, to the, next to the same person for two months at a time. And, and the, the problem with that is you don't, and, and I think the big companies do that because they don't want uh, bubbles to start appearing within right. the, the companies. So they mix people around to stop these little kind of cliques from, right. from bonding or, or appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the downside of that is you're always kind of with strangers. You're always working with strangers. And, and that is not great for mm-hmm. quality of life. I think it, 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 it's stressful and a bit annoying. Um, you, you, some people might prefer it, but I, for me, it was a bit annoying to not be able to kind of have something that I feel like at home. Again, you know, I spent more time at work than I did with the people I love. So I better, I better feel comfortable with yeah. the people around me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so smaller companies give you a lot more of that family um, feeling and that, <clears throat> you know, you're in this together and, and yeah, bigger understanding of, mm-hmm. of, um, of people, of the dynamics between people, rather than just understanding how to do your job and passing down the pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, even though it might not sound as cool to kind of tell tell your friends from uh, Bournemouth, "Hey, mm-hmm. I got a job at this company," rather than saying, "I got a job at Weta," yeah. um, I think you might be passing up something of really kind of nice value by not doing a small company first. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I, I do agree with that, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I didn't well, say it in a very succinct way. That took a long time to say something very simple. No, no, it's yeah, great. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much. Just because I appreciate the fact that you, with everything that you've said, you've said it with authenticity and I can I can vouch for it because it's, it's just how the industry is. And yeah, I'm very grateful that you, you kept it very real to how it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah yeah thank you so much for for sharing lovely thank you mm. so much too